Good morning, Ridge family. It's good to see each and every one of you. I hope you're doing good. It's good for me to be able to see you, and uh, you're looking good this morning, all right? Those of you who are joining us online, we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, Today, we're continuing this series on hospitality called Setting the Table. Pastor David has done a good job kind of leading us into this series, helping us understand why hospitality is so important, uh, that, that really it's, it's using your resources, resources like your kitchen table, your living room, or, or maybe even just your time to engage with others so that strangers can become neighbors and eventually neighbors can become followers of Jesus Christ. And I want to repeat something that you've heard this morning. It originally started with Pastor David. It's interesting that that Pastor Mark brought this up. But David said in week one, he said, if you're not sure about this idea of hospitality uh, or how it looks in your life or how it looks with your family or how it looks with your schedule or your circumstances, before you start uh, Googling churches near you, uh, just commit to pray to this. Pray for this, okay? How, how, pray about it. How, how, does this, how does this look in, in your life? Pray, pray about if and how God might be leading you or your family or your schedule or your season of life so that you are able to step into hospitality. So before you make any decisions, pray about it, okay? And we're going to do that at the end of this service together. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about who our neighbor is, and then last week, if you were here, you got the opportunity to hear a little bit about how as a church body, we are serving our neighbors through uh, Serve Week. And, and, and so this morning, I want us to, to, to think about this concept, this concept of church around a table, church around a table. Okay, we tend to have this idea that this thing that we do on, on Sunday is, is what the church has always done and what worship has always looked like throughout the ages. But that's not necessarily the case. As a matter of fact, the people that Jesus gathered with and the people that Jesus ate with and the people that he called his friends were, were never gathered around a stage like we are this morning. They, they were never gathered in a large auditorium where, where many were just looking at one. Even though they gathered in the table, I mean, in the temple, most often they gathered around a table. And they did the, the very thing, same things that you and I do. They just did them together. Things like eating together, wor- wor- working together, worshiping together. But all these things... They intentionally made space for others to be included, to be cared for, to be provided for, to be valued, and to be loved. And my bet is that many of us who are here today and who are watching online, who are followers of Jesus Christ, can look back over our own stories and remember probably at least one, but maybe more than one impactful moment in our faith walk where hospitality came into play, where someone did something for us out of love or kindness, and man, it made a difference in our walk. Maybe, maybe someone just shared scripture with you. That's part of my story. A busy pastor who had a thousand things to do, take took just a few minutes out of his day to ask me if I just want to go on a walk with him 
And as we walked this little road around a cemetery, he opened up his word and he began to share scripture with me. And it was that conversation, those few moments, that actually led me to make the decision to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe for you, someone taught a Bible lesson somewhere along the way. And they did it with such kindness and love, it just clicked. You knew it was real. Or maybe someone took you to lunch. Or maybe someone took you to play around the golf or took you fishing. Someone who invited you into their home, into their circle. Someone who made a place for you at their table. I remember when I went to college, my freshman year. I I didn't know anyone. Uh, I I knew a few of the guys that went with me, but uh, we weren't always together. We weren't living in the same dorm together. And I remember there was a guy across the hall who invited me to come to his dorm room, me and a couple of other guys, one time a week for a Bible study and $5 Little Caesars pizza. And that didn't sound like much, but that made a world of difference that first year for me in college. Just a little bit of hospitality, just an invitation, just a little bit of kindness. And at the heart of this sermon series, it's our belief that the way that we will make Jesus known in our community is by becoming people who did what Jesus did, by by focusing less on a church around a stage and more about practicing hospitality as we become a church around a table. And so this morning, I want us to to spend some time in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bible and you want to follow along with us, go to Acts chapter 2, find verse 42. We'll start there in just a moment. We're also going to have the passages up on the screen. I want to spend some time this morning here in Acts chapter 2 so that we can be introduced to or maybe reintroduced to some of the heritage and the history of our faith, which has been less about an auditorium and more about the table. And so let's look at this together. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 42, and I'll read through verse, verse uh, 47. Talking about the early church here, the, the very first followers of Jesus. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Sounds like pretty exciting times, doesn't it? This passage reveals a a pattern or maybe we could say a model of how the very first followers of Jesus Christ practiced their faith and how they practiced community with one another. Okay, much of this Now, it was determined by the political climate of the time, but there are several key factors here that we want to remember and recognize. First, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, that probably means that they spent time discussing the teaching. They probably talked about ways to apply that teaching to their lives, and then they encouraged one another how to carry out or how to live out that teaching. This pattern in Acts chapter 2 is actually an archetype 
for our journey group ministry here at the Ridge, where small groups of like-minded believers connect with one another through relationships, through fellowship, and through spiritual growth with one another. And as, as it was with these first followers of Jesus Christ, we have this model of devotion to the teachings of Scripture. I hope you have a devotion to the teachings of Scripture. I hope in your, uh, in, in your devotion time that you are opening up the Word, you're opening up Scripture, and you're allowing that to pour into your life. I hope that you're gathering with other believers, whether, whether that's your family or whether that's like-minded believers, and that you are allowing the Scriptures to pour into you all and allow you to grow. That was the first thing that we see written that the early believers were devoted to was the, the teaching of the Word and the Scriptures. But they were also devoted to some other things, like prayer. They were devoted to a radical level of generosity where they were meeting the needs of those inside and outside of their circles. They were devoted to praise and worship. They were devoted to a lot of things. But, but here's what's important for you to know. They didn't do any of these things alone. They didn't do these things in isolation or in seclusion. Acts chapter 2 shows us that they did these things together as one body. And that's one of the things that made the early church so irresistible. Even though it had everything stacked against it, they were a people who had their hearts wrapped around the same things. They were devoted to the same things. We, we don't see that in, in our day and age. We're so divided we're, we're all going in different directions and we're all so devoted to so many different things. This is most important. No, this is what's important. No, if we could just do this, that would be the most important thing we could do. We're so divided and so going in, in other directions. We're isolated in our community, but we don't see that in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verses 4, verses, uh, I mean, chapter 4, verse 32 says this, all believers were one in heart and mind. They were one in heart and mind. Now, according to the original Greek, what made them one mind was that they literally shared one will. They shared one heart and they shared one passion. They were truly one. Joni Erickson Tata said, believers are never told to become one. We are already one. We're just expected to act like it. Unfortunately, many times in the church, we don't act like we're one. We live in a culture that's divided. We live in a culture that's isolated. But in the church, it should be different. So the early church was one, and they acted like they were one. They were devoted to the same things. They were devoted to gathering together. They were devoted to praying together. And they were devoted to growing spiritually together. But there's this one repeated phrase in our passage this morning that I want to focus on for a minute. And it's the phrase, breaking of bread. Breaking of bread. And, and I want to look at, uh, at, at the repeating. I want to look at these passages again where this is, this is repeated. The first one is Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Let's look at that again. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then where that's repeated again is in verse 46. 
and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, the fact that this phrase, breaking of bread, is repeated in, in this passage in such close proximity is, is no accident, and it's significant. It's significant because, remember, these words were written thousands of years ago, before the, before the printing press was invented, long before word processing was even a thing. Nowadays, if we want to emphasize something in a message that we're sending out to someone, what do we do? Well, we can bold the font, right? We can put it in italics. We can underline it. And by doing those things, we're adding emphasis, okay? But in the day that, that Acts 2 was, was written, th- there was only handwriting. And the way you emphasize something was by repeating it in a text. You repeat it again and again. And that's a technique that we see all throughout scriptures. And so the author here, which is Luke, purposely emphasized this phrase, breaking of bread, because he knew how important it would be for the survival of the early church. The phrase literally means they shared their meals with one another. And these meals were not shared in the temple or a church building, but they were shared in their homes. And this concept is not only repeated in Acts chapter 2, it's repeated all through the New Testament. Throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus telling parables where? At dinner parties. Uh, we, see, we see him reclining at a table with his disciples, sharing an evening meal. And the night before he was betrayed and arrested, sharing his last words at a table at the Last Supper. After the Gospels, we find references to the church meeting in homes, in the letters to the Romans, letters to the Colossians, and to the letter to Philemon. As a matter of fact, in Philemon 1, chapter, uh, I mean, verses 1 and 2, it says, To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and to the church that meets in your home. A direct reference to the gathering together in one's home. You see, Christianity is a history-altering movement that changed the calendar and sent shockwaves rippling throughout the world. And it was not accomplished by a declaration of war against the nation, but through the breaking of bread around a table. Something so big and transformative in history, empowered by something as ordinary as eating together. And so if you're still trying to wrap your mind around this concept of church around a table and how that looks for you personally, maybe it will help if we take a quick look at some of the general stages of church church architecture throughout the centuries, okay? For instance, for the first 100 years of Christianity, people met in homes. There was no such thing as a Christian church building Because when your religion is illegal, you have to be a little discreet. But even though it was under great persecution, Christianity still grew rapidly during this time. As we read, from house to house they gathered. And the center of that gathering was the table. The the place where bread was broken. That was the first hundred years. That's what Christianity looked like in the first 100 years. Then as Christianity grew, 
but still under an illegal religion, followers moved into sometimes abandoned or unused pagan temples. Okay, for instance, old Roman temples that were no longer in use were sometimes repurposed for Christians to use for teaching and for mealtime together. This allowed for a few more people to be included in the gathering. But again, the center of the movement was the table where everyone would come together and enjoy fellowship with one another. In the third stage, after Christianity became legalized, Christians started building churches, or what we know today as cathedral-style buildings, okay? That, that they were many times built in the shape of a cross, okay? And if you've been inside one of these buildings, you know the acoustics are great if you love echo. But when you try to speak or preach a sermon, it doesn't work out so good, right? But again, the meaning was not centered around a message. That's what we're used to. But, but then in this era, the meeting was not centered around a, a message, but it was still somewhat centered around a table and what was most often referred to as the holy table or the Lord's table, where the Eucharist or communion was prepared. It wasn't until the 1500s with the Reformation that churches evolved into a theater-style building. Think about how most modern church buildings or at least the room of worship, is set up. They're set up so everyone can see the speaker. He or she is usually elevated on a pulpit or a platform. The acoustics are such that there's very little echo. This design change marked a shift from the table and a mill to the pulpit or to the platform or to the teacher or whoever was leading. Now, I'm not criticizing any of those, those shifts in design. That's not the point. I'm not saying that they were right or wrong. The point I'm trying to make is this. Over the centuries, there has been a shift in focus from the table or the meal and more toward the teaching or those who are leading the worship gathering. So in 2023, it's normal for us to think about church as a worship gathering as the body of Christ led by a single person or a team of ministers where many are focused on one. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. However, the earliest Christians, for the earliest Christians, a very important part of the church service was a place at the table and a meal shared with others. And understand, this wasn't a pre-service meal. It wasn't dinner on the grounds after service where everybody brings their favorite casserole dish. The meal was the thing. The table was the hub, and it was there where some of the most intimate communication and worship took place. And look, maybe, maybe by shifting our focus in different directions over the years, maybe we've lost something special. Maybe we've lost an important aspect of community and relationships and, and authenticity. Maybe we've lost the art of simply opening up our homes to strangers. Maybe we've confused hospitality with entertaining others. Because look, entertainment can be exhausting, right? All the planning, all the preparation, all the vacuuming and dusting. That can be exhausting. Rosaria Butterfield said, hospitality is not a house inspection, it's friendship. 
But maybe by shifting our focus, we've lost sight of true hospitality and this understanding or this, this practice of church around a table. And listen, I, I don't want to pretend this kind of hospitality is, is, always, is always easy. I understand it, it can be messy. It can be time-consuming. It, it can come with some challenges. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. After Amber and I got married, I noticed a, a subtle difference in the way our two families gathered for, for holiday meals. And you can kind of determine which of these two categories your family falls into. In my family, at a holiday gathering, the children had their own table, usually in a, in a side room, usually away from the adult table, right, where the, adult, the adults sat and they ate and they talked. And I just sort of thought that that was how all families structured their holiday gatherings, right? Children's table over here, adult table here, and never do the two mix, right? Nothing wrong with that, by the way. But at my wife's family gatherings, I was surprised to see that anyone could sit anywhere, right? So there could have easily been a 10-year-old sitting at the head of the main dining room table while my wife's 80-year-old grandfather sat at a folding chair on a side table in the living room. But in that context, it didn't really matter where anybody sat. Anyone was welcome. Anyone could be a part of the conversation. And anyone had a place at the table. There were even times that we would show up to, a, to one of her family gatherings, and there would be this person, this stranger, sitting over on the couch or in one of the chairs. And I would say, honey, who, who is that guy? I don't know. Nobody knew who he was. It was. So he had just gotten an invitation and he just decided to show up for this family gathering. But he always had a place at the table. And that reminds me of how Jesus practiced exactly what we're talking about today. You see, everyone could have a place at his table. Anyone could come and sit with him. Even sinners Rosaria Butterfield said, Jesus dined with sinners, but he didn't sin with sinners. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world. That's why Jesus was often scorned by the religious leaders of his day, because anyone could potentially have a place at his table. When Jesus invited himself to Zacchaeus' home for a meal, that was a big deal. When he ate with Matthew and the other tax collectors, that was unheard of. When a woman with a questionable reputation began washing his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair, no one knew what to do except for Jesus. And he showed her grace. He showed her hospitality, and he showed her that she could have a place at his table. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God, and the second like it, to love your neighbor. But Jesus didn't just say it. He showed us what that looked like by sitting at a table and sharing a meal with those who were like him and those who were not like him. And later, before he laid down his life, he took up a towel and he washed the feet of those that he dined with. And the reason he did that was to demonstrate for me and for you that biblical love is not just something we talk about. Biblical love is visible love. It's tangible, it's sacrificial, it's intentional, and many times it's around a table. It's not easy, but church, it's always worth it.
So how does this look for you? As Pastor David talked about just a few weeks ago, man, it's easy to come up with some excuses. I would love to do this, but I I would love to be a part of hospitality, but in my home, this may not work. With my schedule, I don't know how this works. How does church around the table look for you in your life, in your family, in your schedule? How does it look in your kitchen? Or how does it look on your calendar? What I want us to do as we kind of begin to enter into a prayer time in just a moment about this is just consider, just consider some steps that you can take in regards to show hospitality like Jesus did. The quickest way that you can come around the table with other believers is to be a part of a small group. Be a part of our journey group ministry. A structure that's already in place designed for you to step into it and have a place at the table with other believers. A place where you, with them, can be devoted to the word. Devoted to prayer. Devoted to teaching and growing in your spiritual walk. Very simple to get plugged into a journey group. You just go to the website, go to the church center app, click on groups and classes, and there's going to be a list of all, the cla- of all the groups that you can be a part of. Meeting different days throughout different communities, places where you can come to the table. That's the quickest way, but there's other ways. Invite someone for a cup of coffee. That doesn't take much, right? And it's not in your home. It doesn't have to be. Invite someone for a cup of coffee or, or maybe to a lunch. Or if you got a sweet tooth, I love inviting people to just dessert. It doesn't get any better than that. Good food, good fellowship. And, and it, doesn't have to, it doesn't have to take a lot, of, a lot of preparation. You know, we just kicked off football season. Invite someone over to watch a ball game. Not into sports, that's fine. Invite someone to watch a show. It's just a way that you can connect with someone. And look, remember, this is, not, this is not people that are in your normal circle. These aren't your three best friends you invite over, okay? All right? This is someone kind of outside your circle, and you got to make it count. It's not like you come over, pour a cup of coffee in 10 minutes. Whoo, look at the time. you got to go. <laughs> not how we do this. We take the time. Jesus was never in a rush. Jesus was never in a hurry. And let me just say this. Is the thought of opening up your home just too stressful right now? It's too much? Does it seem to fit in the schedule? We get that. I understand that. Maybe maybe instead of inviting someone to your home, it's inviting someone for a picnic somewhere. Maybe it's inviting someone just to, to the fire pit. Some marshmallows and graham crackers. Maybe it's maybe it's inviting someone just to go for a walk. Hey, let's meet at the park and let's go for a walk. Maybe you can invite them to attend an event of some kind. Go to a movie, go to a concert. Maybe you and your spouse want to invite another married couple to date night that's coming up here at the Ridge on September 15th. It's a great opportunity for you to connect with another couple, go to an event together where you're going to just enjoy some food and some music and being outside and where you can get to know one another. That simple. Just, Just thinking a little bit out of the box. Or maybe if you're ready, invite someone into your home 
for a full-blown dinner. Or accept someone else's invitation to come into their home for a meal. That's what Pastor David called reverse hospitality. Do you remember that? And look, when you go, don't just consume all their food and then sit on their couch and, you know, just, you know, don't be, a, don't be that kind of guest. Reverse hospitality is saying, hey, is there anything I can do? Can I help clean up? Can I wash the dishes? Can, can I go walk the dog for you? What, what can I do? And remember, if you're the host, you say, yeah, yeah, you can wash the dishes. Yeah, you can, you can, you can help straighten up. Yeah, you can, you can do a load of laundry. No, you may not want to go that far. <laughs> this depends how, on how it's going. See how it's going first. <laughs> but remember, that's what hospitality is all about. It's a give and it's a take kind of situation. But man, that's where, that's where relationships really are formed. And trust is formed and understanding is formed. And so look, why, why are we talking about this? Why are we taking so much time to talk about this? Because this was the heart of Christ. He came into this world in a culture, in a context, where if you didn't look a certain way, you didn't talk a certain way, or there were certain things you didn't know, you weren't included. You didn't have a place at the table. Sorry. You don't get an invitation. But Jesus came into that culture, that scene, and he, he changed everything. He invited people to his table who were normally never invited to anyone's table. And even though they might be sinners, he did not sin with them. But he showed them what it was like to change their life, to walk in freedom and to live for him. We do this because this is what our Savior first did. This is how we make a difference. There's many ways that we can reach people. But it seems one of the most effective and one of the ways our Savior walked this out was by inviting them to have a place at his table. So church, let's pray about this right now. What does this look like for us? Bow your heads with me.